Anyway, you ever notice that uh, in the Bible, you see a lot of things that you really wouldn't expect to see, things that would be almost X-rated. Uh, sometimes, you know, you of course you see murder, you see all sorts of sinful sexual behavior. Tonight, we're going to be dealing with bodily functions in Somebody here is going to be a king who's going to be made fun of because of his excessive weight. That's Eglon, and uh, of course, you know, you think about him relieving himself. And uh, there's a lot of humor in this uh, story tonight. It's not the way that you would normally think of what's in the Bible. It has a theological point, no doubt about it at all. It's just that um, this is surprising. And, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And how he does it in this uh, chapter is quite colorful. Matter of fact, there was a writer that called this section of Judges colorful and humoresque. And he concluded that it's kind of a literary cartoon which pokes fun at the Moabites. Now, that's one of Israel's uh, enemies. And uh, they're being mocked here by God. Is what it really comes down to. And so they get mocked and God gets the glory. And so that's what we're going to be uh, talking about tonight. And uh, I think it's great to see humor in this passage. And God at the same time will not be mocked and He will preserve His covenant people regardless of the way that they have been treated and the way that they have treated him. So uh, it'll be chapter 3 that we're dealing with. Deliverers are now going to be given to this idolatrous nation, Israel. They're the idolaters. (laughs) Israel is. That's that generation. So it was the generation that hadn't been in war, that hadn't won that nation. It was a gift to them. And now look what they do with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. As we go into truth tonight, may we see some things here that gives you glory, and they do, they certainly do. We see, even despite the wickedness of the nations, the wickedness of Israel, your mercy and your glory shine. And may we be able to learn a little bit further how you work in such mysterious ways. Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the first section is dealing with Israel now becomes slaves in the first eight verses. Now they went into that part of the of world and they took it over. They conquered almost all the people. That's the problem. It was almost, and of course um, there are nations now that are left in the land. There are young generations of Israelites and never have been in war. They uh, are going to have to learn the art of war. Canaanites are left all over the area. And those people, the Canaanites, are still supposed to be driven out by the Israelites. So, let's read... uh, that first section. Now these are the nations 
which the Lord left to test Israel. That's a key word there, test. By them, that is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it formerly. These nations are the five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites who lived in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal, Hermon, as far as uh, Lebel Hamath. They were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord which He had commanded their fathers through Moses, the sons of Israel, lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And they took their daughters for themselves as wives, gave their own daughters to their sons, and served their gods. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, forgot the Lord their God, and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, and the sons of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. So sad. Sad. God is going to punish his people. He's already told them that. He warned them. He warned them in Joshua. Joshua warned them. Here in Judges, they've gotten the warning. And so now, God is going to uh, bring them into servitude. Like, uh, well, slaves. When they actually own the land. Um, So, those nations that were just uh, put in verse 3 were left there. And we see that... um, the Israelites are sojourners with them. They live with them. They had conquered them, but now they live with them. And not only live with them, when they were owners before, they're not owners now. And um, they start taking wives, uh, or the women taking men of the pagans, and they serve their gods. And Jesus, that's what always happens. You go into a pagan lifestyle, you live around it, and then they marry, and then what gods do they follow when you have uh, not a um, one God belief, the one true God? Either a mishmash or usually what happens, and even Solomon had that happen himself. He had 700 wives and foreign wives, and of course he uh, kind of followed after those gods too got into idolatry. The consequences of uh, intermarriages, God had already cautioned them uh, many times in the law, even the book of Exodus. So they served the Baals and they served Asheroth. And God says, okay, that's it. That's enough. His anger is kindled and he sells them into the hand of this king who is named Cushan, and I could say that. It's the next one, and I have trouble uh, saying Rishathay. There's a few tough ones in here today. But anyway, God gave him into that. He, you know, it's just like he sold them. He owned them, and then he sells them 
in a sense, to this king, and it's really of Mesopotamia, which would be in the area of Syria. So, uh, between the two rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates, and the Greek name of that place is Mesopotamia. And the name here, Kushan Rishathaim, it signifies two evils or double wickedness. So this is not a good man, is he? And that's who God gives His people to now. They're now going to serve Him. Serious, I guess you could say. Uh, so that's the first eight verses. Now we get into the second section. And this is where God says, okay, I'm going to give you judges. And this is how judges is now going to take its namesake. Judges is really like leaders. They're deliverers. They are there to conquer other nations. Basically, for the most part, they don't lead the people spiritually. But they do deliver them or save them. That's the idea. Save. To deliver. It's the judge. So, after being servitude to uh, Mesopotamia, to Syria, verse 9, when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord... The Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them or to save them, deliver. His name is Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Do we remember Othniel? Yeah, back at chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Things were going good at that time. Caleb said, The one who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will even give him my daughter, Aksa, for a wife. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, so he gave him his daughter, Aksa, for a wife. So, there is uh, Othniel first introduced, and now he becomes the first judge of Israel. He's a good one. Very good. And of course, I'm sure to come in the family of uh, Caleb, he would have had to be, wouldn't he? You'd like that, right? Yeah. Well, how many years of oppression had they had before Othniel? Eight years. Servitude. Uh, we really get no details, hardly at all, about this time of Othniel. Verse 10, it does say the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's key. By the way, what you see in verse 9, God raise up, raises up a deliverer, right? Throughout the book of Judges, that's what he does. This is the first one. And then the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Let's look at that for a moment. Look to uh, oh, chapter 6, verse 34. You get to Gideon, one of the early judges. And it says, So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet and such. Anyway, led him into war, battle. 
Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Uh, chapter 11, verse 29. Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah as he goes and conquers and delivers people. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. We could just keep looking at him. Chapter 13, 14, 15. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Um, Othniel has the Spirit of the Lord. He goes, rescues Israel against double evil. Right? That's easier to say than Cushan, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So, the victory there ensured that Israel would have 40 years of peace as you read on. Um, 10, the Spirit of the Lord that comes upon him, he's empowered, he's moved to engage, he's inspired by God with uh, courage, and he's filled with every gift that he needs to be able to lead the people. And so that's the idea of that. So in 10, when he went out to war, the Lord gave him, um, gave the king of Mesopotamia into his hand so that he prevailed over him. Then the land had rest 40 years and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So that's it for Othniel. That's all we get out of Judges. That's all we need to know though. He has the Spirit of the Lord on him. He goes and delivers the people from servitude that they had for 8 years and then for 40 years they have peace. <clears throat> Good to know. Well, it looks like everything's going to be okay. From there on out, Israel will appreciate that, won't they? <laughs> As we all do. <laughs> right. Right? Until we don't. <laughs> yeah. We really need him now. But then later, we'll do some good. We don't need him. The whole process will just keep repeating itself over and over. Matter of fact, if you get this, you got the rest of the judges, right? <laughs> and so it goes. You know, America's had its times of I think spiritual times that were very good. We sent missionaries out into the world like no other nation has ever done ever in the history of mankind. But then we've had our own civil war in our country before. Yeah. Yeah. We've endured past that time. We endured a lot. God has blessed this country. Christian educational colleges and Christian Everything. Hospitals, yeah. and just name it. Yeah. Whatever is good. Who set Christian. them up? It was set up by the Christians. That's right. God blessed America. He sure did because of the good Christian background that was here. And, you know, the Word of God prevailed. Even in, you know, you go to the capitals all across the land and right. you'll see scriptures all around and so, you know, there was something good there. God blessed that. He did. Just kind of like what He did with Israel. But, it seems like when we get away from God, He warns us. He warns us. He, some, he may send hurricanes. He may send tornadoes. Pestilence. You know, yeah, pestilence. Diseases. <laughs> to wake the people up. Some of them do. Seems like most don't wake up. But God's people really don't really uh, repent here, I think, as a whole. You don't really see that. You see that He 
is raised up as a deliverer, Othniel is, and the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. And they go and conquer uh, Mesopotamia, Syria there, where this king was at. They have rest. Um, so, that's where we're at. Well, obviously, a lot of people have forgotten about him because I don't know what people have ever named their children after him. That's a hard name to pronounce. Well, you know, it's another one of those. Well, if you hear, if you heard it enough, you've probably just grown, you know, used to, yeah, just remember. It's not that. like John. <laughs> That's right. Or Joshua, or Caleb, right. or right. <laughs> So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. That's it. Boom. Dies. Forty years of peace, and then, and then. here we go. Verse 12, now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. This so another generation. Right. Yep, 40 years, 40 years another generation. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab. This time it's not Syria, but it's Moab uh, across the Jordan, you know, down towards the Dead Sea area on the other side. And it's this man by the name of Eglon. The Lord strengthens him. He's a despicable kind of a man. He's ridiculous, actually. And God makes fun of him quite a bit here. But he strengthens him. And so God works in mysterious ways. He's going to work by, again, turning over his people to some just crazy lunatic king who is pathetic and because uh, they had done evil in the sight of the Lord and he gathered to himself the sons of Ammon or Ammon, Jordan it's all around that area and Amalek he went and defeated Israel and they possessed the city of the palm trees which used to be known as Jericho, Jericho. it's not like what it used to be <laughs> But it does have the palm trees there. The sons of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Now, it's interesting. They had beaten the Moabites before. Uh, Ammon and Amalek, they're appointed by God. Israelites very well acquainted with the Moabites. Back at one time, they... uh, before they took the promised land, they soundly defeated uh, the Moabites. Remember uh, the days of Balak? And numbers, where that story is at. Yahweh had kept the Moabites in their own land to the east of Canaan. That's what's now what Jordan. So God now brings the Moabites in to Canaan, along with a couple of other people. This is humiliating, because... You know, they had defeated these people before. Very handily, as a matter of fact. But it's coalition, former enemies, and uh, they take, was a, it's a main trade route there leading directly to Moab. Jericho is a strategic place, a very big point where they're at. And if you take control of that, it's like a chokehold. You control all of Canaan if you take that area. And that's what they did. So they serve Eglon for 18 years. Absolutely humiliating. Think of the worst ruler that's in the world today. And 
being underneath him for 18 years. I find it interesting that you waited 18 years to call out to the Lord. Yeah. Eight years the first time, 18 yeah. years the second time. They're a little longer to learn, huh? Mm-hmm. They sure don't know God, do they? You know, the first 40 years, that'd be like uh, 1980 to, to uh, 2020. You know, I think back, I'm going 1980. Doesn't really seem that long, does it? Did you move here somewhere around 80, 81, 82, somewhere in that area? Think Debbie, somewhere around that same area, right? Into yeah, Jeff City area. I was in Jeff City. West Valley. No, 74, 75. Oh, really? Yeah, 74. Oh, you got here a long time ago. How long have you been here, Audrey? How long have I been in Jeff City? Yeah. So, year to come to Jeff City. How long you been 27 here? years ago. How long you been here, Dennis? 27 years ago? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, it goes by pretty quick. You think, oh, that was in the 90s. Wow. That's not very long. I remember the flood. Yeah. It seems like maybe seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Well, we've had a lot of floods. That <laughs> but flood. that flood, I remember very well. I remember John Mullen. He went over there, you know, and took all sorts of pictures and such. He was part of the Mark Bible study. I think, wow, that's that's 27 years ago. It goes by quick. Well, that 40 years probably went by real quick. Raised their kids, there's another generation, like you say, so here we are. And uh, 18 years under what commentator called uh, this Eglon, the king of Moab, kind of like a, he's portrayed as a buffoon. <laughs> And you'll see why as we go through this next part. But uh, the Israelites should have been capable of beating these guys. You know, they had taken all of Canaan before. But um, they don't fear him. They never feared this man. You know, the they problem, didn't respect him. But you know, the problem was the leadership. There was nobody that told them. It's funny to sit there and say, but nobody told them that they could do that. And sometimes that seems to be the biggest thing is the doubt of man is nobody sits there and tells you, you know, you don't have to do it that way. You know, they didn't, like say, nobody rallied the troops. Say, what, teaching the Word of God? That's right. Well, judges yeah. really aren't doing it. And, of course, the one judge dies. And it's not like you have one judge and then, boom, as soon as he dies, he's replaced by another one. It's going to be, how long? 18 years. Well, and they don't give us a, a time. They said, so they rested 40 years, then Othniel dies, and then the people of Israel do evil in the sight of the Lord, but it doesn't say how long they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yeah, before well, Eglin. probably quite a bit. Yeah, that. that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, so here we go again. That's right. I didn't take long, did it? So, the next section is where we really get into the goodies. This is, uh, this is something. This is where the, the king here, Eglon, is, uh, shows off his stuff. Anyway, humiliating for Israel. This, now, we've had Othniel, right? Uh-huh. Here comes the second judge. 
Interesting. Who God brings up here. But when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. For Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. <laughs> Why did you have to put that in there, right? <laughs> and the sons of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Ehud made himself a sword, which had two edges, a cubit in length. He bound it on his right thigh under his cloak. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. It came about when he had finished presenting the tribute that he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he turned himself uh, he himself turned back from the idols which were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, Keep silence. And all who attended him left him. Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. Uh (laughs) And he rose from his seat. The king did. Ehud stretched out his left hand. Here's that left hand again. And took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. The handle also went in after the blade. And the fat closed over the blade. This is graphic. For he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and the refuse came out. I'm telling you, this is graphic. Then Ehud went out into the vestibule and shut the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone out, the servants came and looked, and behold, the doors of the roof chamber were locked. And they said, He is only relieving himself in the cool room. they waited until they became anxious but behold he did not open the doors of the root chamber therefore they took the key and opened them and behold their master had fallen to the floor dead now Ehud (laughs) escaped while they were delaying and he passed by the idols and escaped to Sarah. It came about when he had arrived that he blew the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was in front of them. He said to them, Pursue them, for the Lord has given your enemies the Moabites into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan opposite Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross. They struck down at that time about 10,000 Moabites, all robust and valiant men, and no one escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land was undisturbed for 80 years. Ehud, you got to love him. This, he came out of nowhere. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. Nobody, well, you know, it's not a big deal. But God raises him up to be the next judge, the second judge. Israel cries out for the Lord. Eighteen years of living under this hands of the old enemies that they had. And this buffoon king. And they cry out for a deliverer. God raises him up from the tribe of Benjamin. 
You remember Benjamin? They didn't really finish the job or do the job in Jerusalem. They could have made sure that they kept that city. But instead, they didn't really fight for it. They lost it. These are the Benjamites. (laughs) Well, people are miserable. That's whenever they start crying out for the Lord. You know, if if the liberals got miserable, real miserable, what would they eventually do? Probably cry out for the Lord. Now, would that mean they would repent? I don't know if they would or not, but uh, repent or even cry out for Him. But it's funny, you get in a terrible, terrible place and some of the people that you've, you've known have cried out for the Lord. God delivers them. They get all excited about God. And a few months later, a few years later, whatever happened to them? You see that? You've seen that, haven't you? God got their attention. He delivers them. And then what do they do? That's what Israel's doing here. God raises up the deliverer, though, a left handed Benjamite. And he's called uh, Benjamin, actually means son. Of the right hand. Oh, that's cute. This guy from Benjamin is (laughs) left-handed. I like you like God's sense of humor, don't you? Right hand. That's this whole story is a lot of sense of humor of God. Son of the right right hand. hand. The right hand of the power of God. Right. Mm -hmm. The right. How often do you hear that? You think of power and strength of a right hand person. How would you like to be from the tribe and be left-handed? <laughs> now, if Johnny were here, he might take a chance. <laughs> were you thinking of that? <laughs> it's all right. But that was See? back at that time. But that was good that he was left-handed because they assumed everybody was right-handed That's from right. That's the point. Right. And God uses somebody that you wouldn't they think. assumed that would do what they were able to do. So, and he is a lot of irony here, you know, too, in this whole story. Jericho is located in the region given by Joshua, remember him, (laughs) to the tribe of Benjamin. So that's, that's where they're at, around that Jericho area. And that's where he's from, he's somewhere in that area. Um... Being left-handed, it's only natural that the deliverer would would be from a tribe, from the son of the right hand. Uh, God always does things the opposite way that we think, don't doesn't he? Keeps us on our toes. Sometimes they regarded being left-handed as a birth defect. Yeah, as I said, to say, I think they thought it was a curse. I remember right. But the ancient people actually regarded left-handed people. As having an advantage. Really? Yeah. Johnny would have liked to have heard that. He got beat Go. up when he was a kid by the teachers. He did. The teachers would smack his hand the hard. teachers? Yeah. You can't use that left hand. Because he was left-handed. Him. They would make him use the right hand. Really? Oh, hey, all right. <laughs> okay, so you can get into this story, can't you? <laughs> 
This is great. Well, you know what? You can see how clever he is in this story. And very deceptive. Pitchers in Major League Baseball are considered to be very much at an advantage when they're left-handed because, let me tell you, it's not a natural look. You know, you're seeing a pitch come in and it just goes the other way and it does funny things. Uh, you know, guys that face left-handers for the first time, they can't do anything with it. It takes a long time to learn how to hit left-handers. Get that rhythm off of Annie's ball team, just watching, I mean, not Annie, Allison's ball team, watching a left-handed batter come up for a pitcher. Well, that's bad for that kid because they get hit by that pitcher. That's about being batting left-handed. You get smacked around a lot. You better put a full guard on. So it's a surprise, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it's different. People tend to do things backwards, too. You know that from my kitchen sink. <laughs> my hot water and cold water are opposite because John put it together and he actually did the same thing to my washer. There <laughs> so, oh, we go. He did it right in his own bath. So when anybody works on it now, it's like, who did this? You no, know, and I don't think about it anymore. And then somebody over there, they're running water for a long time, and it's like, oh. That's wrong. It's not set up right. <laughs> yeah, it's on the That's other funny. side. The other left. <laughs> well, he is quite clever. He's quite deceptive. And uh, he takes care and makes light of Eglon's way of actions. And so you got to like what he does in the story. I like and, that he locks the door. Yeah. Because he had enough mind. Yeah, most people would have did it, and they got skittish and scooted on out of there, which would yeah. draw attention to it. No, he casually locks the door and acts like, oh, you know. Just walks on oh, out? Because i got to get out of it. You know, the boss has got problems. You know, just kind of wanders on out like no big deal. You know, he was done, he was right. done talking with him. That's right. You know what uh, Ehud's name means? Uh, um, Where's the splendor? Why would that be? Israel. The splendor. Uh, oh, how about uh, when the glory of the Lord departed, Ichabod. Ichabod. It's like, where's the glory? Right? Glory had left the place. A splendor had left the place. And there is Benjamin, or uh, this Ehud from Benjamin. And uh, there is a little bit of splendor here. Anyway, he is going to pay tribute to Ehud. Israel is sending him. And so this is the man that God has raised up, right? So he's kind of like the leader. He's like a, a king or whatever of Israel coming to Eglon. Eglon is really, you know, a prideful man. This king who took Israel when they couldn't take him, take them before. And, uh, you know, Ehud is really an unlikely man to get in this capacity that he has here. So he brings tribute. Uh, Eglon. Oh, got to get to his name. Bull or calf? <laughs> A bull or calf? 
And he's now described by a term used of animals who have been fattened for the slaughter. <laughs> you get that? <laughs> so, that's exactly what's going to happen. He is getting ready for the slaughter. Uh, Ehud dwelt at Jericho. He knew full well who Ehud was. He knew about him. And... Matter of fact, he uh, presents the gifts, the tribute, or it's like tax money. Maybe there's extra stuff there that they're giving them. So he gets to go right into the king's presence and, and his men. Ehud has some men with him. Uh, I think one of the writers said it was two, two servants. Josephus said that. But uh, he endears himself to the king here. They send a present. Ehud has a double-edged sword, very sharp both sides. It's a dagger. It's like from your elbow to the end of your fingers near here. That's Cuban. So it's not a real long sword, but it's more than just a knife. It's pretty long, you know, like a long dagger uh, it's really meant to stab not to slash and that kind of thing and so he wears it on his right side now what kind of clothes was he wearing that's interesting under his cloak he has this on his right thigh under his cloak so it's disguised He's left-handed, so wouldn't you think that maybe if he was left-handed, if he had a sword, he would be wearing it on the left side, right? I mean, so they knew they knew he was left-handed. So, yeah. I would assume that somehow they probably knew of, knew, knew of that. Maybe you know, yeah, could be maybe as he's presenting it, you know, he's using his left hand and, and such. At, at any rate, you know, I don't know if. Uh, king is that bright anyway about that but it doesn't matter he puts it under his clothes and it remains hidden nobody detects it or anything there happened uh, you know they've got men there they've got guards and everything all around protecting the king so they feel no problem at all and uh, it's interesting how the story goes it's almost misleading the way that it's uh, set up here he presents a tribute in 17, right? Mm-hmm. Now, and it says, it makes a mention there, Eglon was not only, he was a very fat man, and of course you see the rest of the story, you see why that's brought out, but it came about when he had finished presenting the tribute that he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. Now, that sounds like Okay, he's there along with the the servants that he has with him. Maybe two, maybe more. He has the servants, and it sounds like he sends them away. And then he starts doing his damage on Eglon, right? Uh, actually, no. You know what they did? They left. They all left together. Uh, Ehud, his servants... They presented the tribute, right? They're finished. And 
he turned back from the idols which were at Gilgal. He went with the servants all the way to Gilgal. The idols are at Gilgal. Now, that's funny that, that that is mentioned there. They've already left the city. They've left their presentation. And he now comes to the area where Gilgal, which is noted for what? Where did the monuments, the rock monument happen at Gilgal? What else did they do there? They celebrated the first Passover there. What else did they do there? They had the circumcision there. Uh, it represented the very place of God. Everything that is the history there, because that was the city, or the place, their camp, that they used before they attacked Jericho. So now, he goes, and he knows the history, and who knows, maybe uh, Eglon, the king, maybe had taken the, that area, and maybe even taken those same rocks and monuments, and turned it into a monument to idols. So, here's the interesting aspect about this. The, the way that I first read it, I kept reading and reading it. I had to go to commentary. So, what's going on? This doesn't make any sense. He presents it, and then he's then he's talking about turning back the idols. Uh, yeah, Gilgal. Like they're in the same room, or something's going on there. Yeah, it's like what? Did, yeah. did you did you guys? Did, is that the way that you would follow? You go. I, I think I missed something. Right? Yeah. Same way. But does it make sense? And as we read here, it's really what he's doing. He goes back with the, his people that are with him, attending him, and he lets them go on. He splits from them. He goes to Gilgal, and he turns back at Gilgal, as, and they mention the idols, which is bringing memory to him. And it's almost like the Lord is speaking, saying, do you remember the monuments that used to be be here? here? And look what the king has done here. Oh, so what you're sitting there The king took over that area to see. He went to contribute, gave his his tribute, whatever the money was, to the king. Then he went... He had people help deliver it, help bring it. They carried it. He probably took it, gave it to the king. Right. Then after the presentation is over and all the ceremony, then they leave. He goes with them to a certain point, and he doesn't want them anymore. He's going to do his thing privately. They probably don't even know what he's going to do. Does that make sense now? Is that helping? So as we read this now, but okay, they give the tribute in 18. Mm -hmm. But he himself turned back from the idols which were at Gilgal, See, it's like something's missing there. But really not. But it's like, okay, they left. And he turns back. And he comes all the way back. And it's almost like, I have a secret message for you. Okay, it sounds like it's all at the same time. Mm-hmm. They've just given the, the um, presentation that he says, I have a message for you. Right, I thought it was all But that's not the story. So no, he, he left. they left. He sees the idols at Gilgal. Does that make sense now? Now he comes back. And he's, and he, you know, it's like he's met the king. King is quite taken by him, probably. You know, he's okay, guy. You know, he's all right. Brought a presentation here uh, to me. 
Um, but he's alone. But this is all planned, or not? Well, I think he's planned it. Because he's talking about earlier in 16, he talks about the two-edged sword and that he put it on the yeah. right yeah. thigh. Yeah, oh yeah, there's no doubt. So he's he got was this in mind. For maybe an opportunity. Opportunity. Maybe he didn't have it with all the people around. Okay, he didn't want to. And of course, the king is always going to have oh. people around him, but. So, like, in case he got in trouble, he didn't want to get everybody else mixed up with it. Right. It would be and, a lot easier to escape if you don't have to all run together. Right. Go, ah, exactly. Hey, bingo. All he has to do is leave. Just That's right. It doesn't work he out. can move very quickly. So he's gotten rid of these guys. He comes back. He's just one man now. What kind of a threat is he going to be? Right. Eglon totally trusts him. Right. Mm -hmm. He just gave him stuff. Why not? You know? Uh, so... He'll be able to escape alone here now. So after delivering the tribute, uh, he dismisses them, got the pagan idols, and of course that whole area, you know what that's all about. He says, I got a, I got a message for you. I got something to tell you. He's at the palace of the king of Moab here. And so now he actually has an access to the king. Oh, there was, it was like something I forgot to tell you. God has a message I want you to hear. Well, he just got gifts from these people. Yeah. They're feeling real jovial. I'm sure they talked and they had a good time. Mm -hmm. You know? So I got a secret message for you. And like I say, you know, he could be acting like he forgot to do this when he was there, so he came all the way back. And this whole thing requires privacy. And it says in verse 19, himself turned back. Uh, which were Gilgal. I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silence. Now, that mean. I think the king is saying, keep quiet. Because it's like, I want to tell you. He said, I want to tell you, God has a message. I've got a message to tell you. And the king's saying, okay, let's get. Now, he could be saying around all the people that are around, or he could be saying, okay, be quiet. And I'll get rid of everybody. All right? Because read on through here. Uh, and he said, Keep silence. And all who attended him left him. So it's now him and Ehud. Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. That was their air conditioning at that time. <laughs> and it was hot. You know, you think of the Middle East area and you think of Moab and. Dead Sea area and such, desert area and what have you, right? And they would, people would stay cool in the heat of the day or even at night. They would have the, you know, they'd get up on the roof a lot. If you had a house that actually had a, had a roof, I guess most houses do, don't they? But uh, he's got a palace here. But that's where he's at. So he gets pretty good descriptions here, don't you, of things? So that's when Ehud came to him while he's sitting in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. He's already said, I have a secret message for you. Ehud's going, oh, okay. Okay, y'all can leave. They go up to, into his chambers, his own place, cool. And as soon as Ehud said that, the king arose from his seat. It was like, oh, i got to hear this. What is it? I've got a message from God. Now, the word there, I think, is Elohim. It's not Yahweh. So he can identify with that. That's the God of 
any people, Great. right? Some God. And hey, you know, Ehud is uh, a representative of Israel. He's their leader. I mean, he's their number one guy, right? So, you know, okay, uh, let's hear this. I want to hear what maybe God has said something to you. So he rose from his seat. Ehud stretched out his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh. Total surprise. Nobody's looking for this. Nobody. And thrust it into his belly. The handle also went in after the blade. The fat closed over the blade, for he didn't draw the sword out of his he did not draw the sword out of his belly. He couldn't get it out. It went all the way in. And it just went over and then refuse came out. What's refuse? I don't think guts. I want to know. It usually think of guts, no doubt probably guts. What's in the guts? Nasty, stinking stuff. And it's like, wow, did we really need to hear this? Mine's a dumb. It's, that's what it is. That's, it's dumb. Mine's dirt. Dirt. <laughs> dirt came out. Fertilizer. <laughs> that was being kind. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what it is. It's, this is poop. So this is how humiliating this is. And this is what Ehud has done. He, he can't even back. get his sword back out. <laughs> he couldn't. You I know, wouldn't. He, yeah, but, I he mean, lost yeah. his sword. He lost his sword. It went all the way in. <laughs> and here's this stuff coming out. You can imagine him telling the story uh, after check all this of out. That. In fact, probably... I'm guessing he pulled his hand away real quick. No, that's, that's why the servants didn't go in. But that's why the didn't go in there a while ago. They probably could smell something oh, not that's so. Why they he was, yeah. That's why they thought he was in using the restroom. I'll put it that way. Exactly. Because there was a foul smell that was coming from there. They I'm sure it was foul. And I'm oh. sure that's, if they seen him scurry out of there, they probably knew why. It's like, oh, oh my goodness, yeah. So he's like, well, nobody's going to stick around for that one. God didn't have to be so graphic. <laughs> but but he certainly is here. Whoever the writer is, God says, that's okay, go ahead. God's inspiring this. And so do you see the humor in this all the way through? So he made sure he'd escape. But it's serious. That happening, nobody's going to go in there for a while. So, 23, Ehud went out into the vestibule, shut the doors of the roof chamber behind him. You don't think he went, them. like this? And... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he could have. Bad in there. <laughs> Evidently, he liked to eat very much. Anyway, they all knew that. So here you got the rest of his own attendance now. Verse 24, when uh, Ehud went out, his servants came and looked, and behold, the doors of the roof chamber were locked. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah it, it ought to be. That stench, and they that said, stench. he's only relieving himself in the cool room. That's how they came up with the smell was happening. So, this took quite some time. They waited five more minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes. Well, you know, you know, some people are in there a long time. <laughs> If they have a newspaper. <laughs> well, I'm sure he had the uh, Moab Gazette. <laughs> uh, they waited until they became anxious. They're really getting concerned now. Who knows? It might be an hour later, 45 minutes or something. Something's not right. 
This is weird. But behold, he didn't open the doors of the roof chamber. It's, it's almost like, you want to go in there? I don't want to go in there. I'm not going to go in there. I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. You want to go in? No. <laughs> so there they are waiting all that time. He's having trouble. Fine. He's going to be real mad at you for bothering him. <laughs> yeah. They had the key, they opened it, and there he is, he's dead. Now, Ehud has had plenty of time to get out of there. He escaped while they were delaying. He passed by the idols, so he's gone all the way back now to Gilgal, however far that is. The idols, right? And he escaped to Sarah. And I can't really tell you where that's at because nobody seems to know. It's not there anymore. But I can tell you, it's pretty close to Gilgal. You know, and it's somewhere around the... You know, the Jordan River around that area down south there. It came about when he had arrived, when he came back home to his people, he blew the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. What does that mean? Let's go, guys. Something. I mean, he tells us the news gets out quick. And the trumpet blows out all over the area. And, you know, you're in the hill country and it's bouncing out and all over the hills and everywhere. The sons of Israel went down with him from the hill country and he was in front of them. This is a who. A little more information. Where did he get the trumpet? Well, uh, <laughs> they always had those ram's horns laying around, didn't they? Does he just carry a trumpet or? They probably had help. Either he has one or somebody has one. Anyway, it's, uh, it's blown. Okay. Everybody knows what this trumpet is about. Yeah, they, they know that something has happened. They they knew he took the 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 tribute, but he comes back. He gets the story to them. And guess what? This is the time to go get him. Eglon is dead, and let me tell you how it happened. You know, I'm sure he told the details. They're all having a blast out of it, and they're all laughing too. And they're going, "We can take him." He said to them, "Pursue them for the Lord." Here we go has given your enemies the Moabites into your hands. The Lord has done it. Hey, Ehud is a man of God. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan opposite Moab and did not allow anyone to cross. What they did is they seized that area and just like what happened to them before, if you seize that area, then you cut it all off and, uh, you know, you are going to win. And they did it. Um, he is a skillful man. And so, hey, hey, Penny, if he's good with the sword, he probably is a good trumpeter too. <laughs> but the news got out though. And everybody assembles for battle. They started rallying around Ehud. They've not had a leader, but he had become the judge, and now all of a sudden, he's proven who he is. And he takes them out. They get victory over them after 18 years, captures a crossing port point at the Jordan. There they are there, and as the enemy comes, the Moabites, guess what the soldiers do? They slaughter them right there. Because they are, they're leaving themselves out hanging, and there they are, you know, trying to cross the river, and they don't have a chance. They are taken at that time. Moab so this was all subdued. Happened the same day. Yeah. Uh, he leaves the king after he's killed him. He goes back to Ephraim, and he gathers the people, and they go back to. 
Well, all I know, it says in 27, it came about when He had arrived, yeah. he, that He blew the trumpet. And so that's when they start gathering. And I, why not? Let's go get them. This is the time right now. They're mourning the king. They're just getting the news out. That would make sense, wouldn't it? They're totally staggered, and so they get some of their soldiers. They start coming through there, and uh, it said nobody escaped. They were robust, valiant men, 10,000 of Moabites. They didn't know that this was going to happen. Israelites are ready for them, subdue them, and they have peace for 80 years. So there's 40 years of peace, and then... 18 years of servitude, and now 80 years. God is real merciful. Really gracious. And we finish it off with the third judge. And after him came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel, or delivered Israel. That was the third judge. You get one verse. But it's good enough. 600 men with what? An ox goat. Who does that remind you of? Samson. Samson who did even much more. But he, he delivered them from the Philistines. Anyway, uh, what are we seeing here? God is demonstrating how He will accomplish His purposes. And He can take human weaknesses. That'd be humiliating. You know, to get struck by an ox goad. It's it's really a it's a stick about maybe ten feet long, has a sharp metal tip, something like that, to prod the uh, oxen. And the other side, it was like to clear out the plows that you'd have to clean them out. It's really what uh, an ox goad was. So this guy took that. Well, okay, he's the son of Amen. So Anath, yeah. he's not even really an Israelite. He's, Anath isn't anybody. <laughs> Wait, yeah, who's Anath? Yeah. Who's Anath? Who? It doesn't say he's from the tribe of whoever, whatever. So it just raises up people that nobody knows <laughs> that are unlikely. Yeah, he's a foreigner. You know, Jesus came to us in a very strange way. The way that he came as, as the baby and not born in a palace, the way that he lived his life and how he died and everything. And we have the conquering hero, the one who is the Savior, the Deliverer. And God always does things the way that man wouldn't do. Man has all of his power, you know, and swords and chariots and all that. God just uses a, a man with a sword. He's left-handed and they uh, wind up taken back where they had been. That's the way of God, isn't it? So when things don't look likely, that's most often when God can do His thing. Because why? He gets the glory. Not many mighty, not many noble. <laughs> so He takes a businessman and makes him a president. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not even really a good politician. Yeah. He 